And as we had our uh, soul restored, we have to understand that the reason it is being restored is because there are many times our soul is in the wrong place. And there are many times that our soul is weary and in turmoil. Now, let's define, take some notes this morning, let's define what it means by our soul. Our soul is our core. The Bible calls it our inner man or woman, in your case, if you're a woman. Our inner man or our inner woman, it's, it's uh, the Greek word really means the seat of our appetites, the seat of our emotions, the seat of our passions. So this is who we are. It's what makes us up as whoever you are and whoever I am. It's what drives us and compels us and consumes our thinking and is a priority in our lives. Now, he's going to restore our soul, and we have to understand that because the health and condition of our soul is solely determined by whether we're walking in righteousness or walking in sin. The health and the state, the condition of our soul will be determined by whether we're walking in righteousness or walking in sin. And that will be solely determined by whether we're trusting in Jesus Christ as our Savior or trusting in ourselves. So it starts with who you trust in. Do I trust in Christ or do I trust in myself? Those are the only two options. There's not a third option. There is just trust in Jesus or trust in you. And once we determine that, that will determine whether we're walking in righteousness out of trusting in Jesus or whether we're walking in sin out of trusting in ourselves. And the path that we're on will determine how healthy our soul is and what it looks like. Now, this fits, if you go back to verse 1, this fits within the foundational truth that David established, that we're sheep and the Lord's our shepherd, because as we saw, sheep are very easily and quick to lose their way. They get off track very easily. And not only did they go astray, probably more than any other animal in the world, but, but they're unable to find their way back. And as they can't find their way back, instead of yielding and crying out for help, they continue to be stubborn and continue to go the way they think is right. And that takes the sheep down some very dangerous paths. I've been reading a book during this series uh, written by a professor at Grace College, a Christian college in Indiana, and he spent some time in the wilderness of Israel, this is 20, 30 years ago, learning uh, what it meant to be a shepherd. And he did that because he wanted to understand Psalm 23 better. And one of the most common insights that he gained out of his time of living as a shepherd is that the sheep would take off. And that they would find places Nobody really understood how they got there. They would find places that were absolutely dangerous and life-threatening, and then they'd just kind of stand there. They'd find them on the sides of cliffs. They'd find them on little plateaus. They'd find them stuck in thorn bushes. They were just all over the places because they just didn't have any desire to follow the shepherd. And without the help of the shepherd and without the rescue of the shepherd, they would have died. So, this is the overriding, if you look back at verse 3, this is the overriding concept of verse 3, is that every soul needs restoration from the Lord. That applies to every person in this room. It applies to every person who lives. Whether you need a transformative, life-changing spiritual transformation this morning, or whether you are just needing restoration that renews you, or whether you need to be revived. Whatever the case is, every single person in this room needs restoration of their soul. 
So this morning, I want to take just a couple minutes to define three reasons why we need this restoration. But before we do that, let's define what we're talking about. He restores my soul. What does that mean? What does this word restoration mean? Well, the Greek word here is the word shub. Everybody say shub. I love that word. I just like hearing people say the word shub. All right? That's the Greek word here. Or excuse me, the Hebrew word. I apologize. And it means restored. It means to return or turn back. Okay? To return or turn back. So by saying our soul needs to be restored, the Lord is telling us without equivocation, without doubt, without argument, that there are times when our soul is going the wrong way. And that will always be because of sin. Our soul needs to be restored. It needs to be shubed. It needs to be turned back and returned because it's going the wrong way. So as sheep, the Lord needs to return us to the condition that we're meant to be in. The condition we're meant to be in is what is right and what is righteous. So this is not just about getting better or feeling better or gaining strength. This is far more spiritual. Spiritual restoration means that you and I need change. We don't like that word, do we? We need change. Whether we're dead, whether we're broken, whether we're used up, there has to be an act of revival. And notice the second part of the verse. The reason for that revival is one purpose. For the Lord to guide us back to paths of righteousness. Because we're spiritual sheep, we get easily confused. And because we gravitate to dangerous and destructive paths, there are really only two options. Option number one is to continue to abandon the shepherd and go our own way. Now, now that's an option. Many people take that option. But Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. And that's a good verse to, to memorize. We're, gonna, we're memorizing verse six verses here. That's another one I want you to memorize this summer. Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end of the way is death. Anytime you're tempted to follow your own wisdom, put that in quotes, your own wisdom as a sheep, just quote Proverbs 14, 12. This way seems right to me, but the end of that is the way of death. So we need to understand that there is a result. The result of following ourselves, the result of abandoning the shepherd is death. Romans 6.23 says that it's the wages, it's the payment of our sin, and it's death. But who knows the rest of the verse? The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, so the Lord says you don't have to stay in this death. I'll give you a second option. The second option is that you admit that you need a shepherd and you fully trust in me to restore you and lead you on the path of righteousness. So you can do your own thing, follow your own path, be your own shepherd. It's going to lead to death. It's going to take you down the wrong path. Or you could admit you're a sheep and you need a shepherd and you trust in me and I'll fully restore you and I'll take you on the right path. Now within that second option, which we know is the right one, there are three times where our soul needs restoration. Okay? You ready to write? Number one, we need restoration when we're in spiritual wickedness. When we're in spiritual wickedness. Now, not one person in this room wants to be described as wicked. 
Because there's a common lie that is out there that just about everybody believes about themselves. Tell me if you've heard this before. I'm a good person. Anybody ever heard that one before? I, I'm, a good, well, I, I'm a good person. I've lived a good life. And you know, from an everyday, somewhat moral, somewhat uh, ethical, uh, I haven't killed anybody or gone to jail kind of standpoint, there's a measure of truth in that. Everybody has some, some decent, virtuous, positive qualities in them. And that's true by and large. Hear me now. By and large, we're, we're good people. We're somewhat moral, ethical people. But when you compare those to the Lord, who we just sang, holy is the Lord, right? Holy is the Lord, God Almighty. The earth is full of his glory. Well, well he's absolutely holy. There's no trace of sin. There's no trace of wickedness. There's nothing there. He's completely good in the greatest, grandest sense of the word. He's completely holy. He's completely pure. He's completely righteous. So when we bring our goodness to him, it's a joke. Because we're polluted by sin. So we tell ourselves the lie. Well, I'm a good person, and, and, and I'm not wicked. And come on, Paul, you're being too harsh. It's a nice Sunday in July, and, 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 and I, I, I shouldn't be told that. Well, let me tell you what Romans 3 says. There's none righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's none who seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they become useless. There's none who does good. There's not even one. And James 2.10 says, even if you were good, it's not enough for whoever keeps the whole law and stumbles in one point has become guilty of all of it. So the fact of our spiritual deficiency is not in any doubt. We need our soul corrected because our soul is corrupted. Now, with each of these three principles we're going to look at this morning, we're going to see that David knew this firsthand. Turn over to 2 Samuel chapter 15 for a moment. 2 Samuel 15. We're going to look at a couple passages real quick today. Absalom was one of David's sons. And Absalom was very, 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 very angry. And he had reason. His sister Tamar was sexually assaulted by his half-brother Amnon. It's a horrible, ugly scene. And Absalom determined to get revenge. And that set off a chain of events in which Absalom not only killed Amnon, but he killed all of David's other sons. And then Absalom decided to steal the kingdom from David, who was his father. He decided to take it away because he was angry at his dad. Look at verse 6. In this manner, Absalom dealt with all Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole away the hearts of the men of Israel. Came about at the end of 40 years that Absalom said to the king, Please let me go pay my vow which I vowed to the Lord in Hebron. For your servant vowed a vow when I was living at Geshur and Aram, saying, If the Lord shall indeed bring me back to Jerusalem, then I'll serve the Lord. Then the king said to him, Go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. That was all a ruse because we see in verse 10 that Absalom sent spies throughout the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you will say, Absalom is king in Hebron. And 200 men went with him from Jerusalem who were invited and went innocently. They didn't know anything. Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gilanite, David's counselor from his city of Gila, 
while he was offering the sacrifices. And the conspiracy was strong, for the people increased continually with Absalom. Now, here we see that Absalom's heart is so off, so wrong, so misguided, that he's not just getting revenge against his brother who committed this grievous sin against his sister. This is not just an act of revenge. That's just a symptom of what's going on inside him. Because at his core, Absalom was hard-hearted. He was full of pride. He desired to rule his own life. And that spiritual wickedness corrupted everything he did. In fact, I went through from chapter 13 to chapter 18, and I came up with all the words that describe Absalom to show what was going on in his heart. He was full of hatred, resentment, lacking in mercy, conniving, proud, insubordinate, rebellious, adulterous, unwise, lacking in repentance, and lacking in sorrow. Now maybe some of those describe you this morning. Your heart isn't right with the Lord. You're you're not where you need to be in terms of trusting in Christ. I want you to know right now that can change. You may have been in church all your life. You may, well, Paul, I've, I've been in church. I, I come to the service and I serve. But, but you know deep down your heart is not right with the Lord. You are, you are off track. You're corrupted. And I'm not being critical. I'm just describing it. You're corrupted by selfishness. And you have been unwilling to really surrender to the Lord. I want you to know right now that can be changed for all eternity. But you have to go to the Lord and you have to say, look, I I confess my pride. I confess my sin. I've been my own shepherd and I am walking down the path of destruction and I am going to die eternally unless you save me. And you've offered to do that. So, Lord, I surrender my life to you now. You know what? If you do that in an instant, in a moment, right in this room, God will change you from corruptible to incorruptible. And I want you to know, if you make that decision this morning, or you want to know more about it, I want to talk to you after the service. One of our leaders will be up here. We're going to talk to you. We're going to tell you what it means to trust in Christ and to be saved. That's the most important restoration we can go through, and it's one that every single person needs to, to, to have the Lord's righteousness reform us, to have God's grace transform you. But that's not the only transformation we have to go through because sometimes even a person who is saved wanders. So let's look at the second type of restoration. First type of restoration is when we're in spiritual wickedness. The second type of restoration is when we're in spiritual weakness. Turn back a couple pages to chapter 12 because David lived this one out in a dramatic way. There are a lot of people who believe that Psalm 23, and I, I think I believed this for a long time, that Psalm 23 was written when David was a boy in the field. Have you ever seen the art, maybe been in the Art Institute in Chicago, and David's in the field and kind of like this with his little lyre, his little guitar, and he's kind of doe-eyed, and, like, and people are like, well, that's when he wrote Psalm 23 because he was a shepherd, and he understand the Lord is my shepherd. Yeah, he did understand that, but when you look at what it says in Psalm 23, it indicates he had experienced life. 
He had faced death. He knew what it was to have enemies who wanted to kill him. He, would exp- he had experienced prosperity. So I believe, as I get older, that David wrote Psalm 23 later in life. But I also believe that it's based on verse 3, because David knew firsthand he restores my soul. If you know your Bible, you know that 2 Samuel chapter 11 was the great sin of David. Where his eye, one night when he was on the roof, he looked over and he saw a woman bathing. And he said, I got to have that woman. Didn't matter that she was married. Didn't matter that she was happy in her marriage. He just decided he was going to take advantage of his opportunity as a king. That he was going to take whatever he wanted. And that he was going to tell her that she was going to have an affair with him. And he proceeded to do that. And then to get rid of the evidence, he decided to take her husband, Uriah, and he ordered that he be put on the front line of the battle so it would make sure that he was killed. And then David, after conspiring to commit adultery and conspiring to commit murder, he then tried to hide it from everybody. And he thought he got away with it. There was no question he needed to repent, no question he needed to pray to be restored, but his conscience, and this is what happens, his conscience was seared by sin, and for the first time in his life, David didn't seek the Lord. We don't see David running to the Lord in 2 Samuel 11, we just see him living a parallel life. So the Lord sends his close friend Nathan, and Nathan comes in chapter 12, and he tells David a story about a rich man who stole a poor man's sheep. Get that parallel, right? Psalm 23. Not coincidence. He stole a sheep that didn't belong to him. And look at David's reaction in verse 5. Then David's anger burned greatly against this man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, surely this man who's done this deserves to die. He must make restitution for the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and had no compassion. I love the next four words that Nathan says. He says, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, it's you, it is I who anointed you king over Israel and it's I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. I also gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your care, and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, little sarcasm from the Lord, I would have added to you many more things like these. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You've taken his wife to be your wife, and you've killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me, speaking of the Lord. You've taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I'll raise up evil against you from your own household. That's Absalom a couple chapters later. I'll even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion. Again, Absalom. He'll lie with your wives in broad daylight. Indeed, you did it secretly, but I'll do this thing before all Israel and under the sun. The Lord exposes sin. How many know that's true? David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. Nathan said to David, the Lord has taken away your sin. Praise be the grace of God. You will not die. However, because of this deed, you've given occasion the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also that's born to you will surely die. Now, obviously, David is completely guilty, and to his credit, he immediately confesses his sin. 
And that's a very important spiritual principle this morning. Never wait to confess your sin. Never put it off and say, well, at the end of the day, I've been busy and I know I've done some things that are wrong and I'll kind of wait till I'm in bed and laying down and then I'll kind of unload the list of the day and kind of download it to the Lord and say, well, Lord, here's all the stuff I've done and I'm really sorry and please forgive me. No, when the Holy Spirit convicts you and you know that you're guilty, own up to it right then. Ask the Lord for forgiveness and cleansing right then. And here's the beautiful reassurance. Look at verse 13. The Lord does forgive sin in that moment. So again, if you're needing salvation this morning, now is the time. Now is the moment. This is the evidence of God's grace because when we're weak and we have sinned and failed the Lord, even as believers, God is ready with forgiveness and he's ready to restore our soul. And in those moments, we need our soul renovated because it's ruptured. David is his weakest point in his life. Not when he's facing Goliath. Not when he's in the battle against the Philistines. Not when he's struggling in the caves running from Saul. This is the low point when he has sinned against the Lord and his relationship with the Lord has been fractured. And he feels it. He's blind because of his sin. When Nathan tells the story, he doesn't connect the dots and say, oh, you're talking about me. He says, oh, shame on this man. we got to punish him. And Nathan says, it's you. What did that feel like in that moment? It's you. And David, you don't see it. That your relationship with God has been fractured. This gives us a fresh perspective that our way as sheep is wrong and the Lord's way is right and it's full of life. And we see that in verse 20. Look at it. After David's son that's born out of the affair dies, which God told him it would, David mourns. Then we read that David arose from the ground, washed, anointed himself, changed his clothes, and came to the house of the Lord and worshiped. When he repented, then he purified himself as a statement of God's purification and forgiveness. David didn't didn't sit around and cry, say, it's unfair. What happened? Why did you allow this, God? He knew exactly why God had allowed it. And he humbled himself and went to the house of the Lord and worshiped. See, that's what has to happen for us to be restored. And I believe, honestly, that we need this type of restoration far more often than we think. We need to get before the Lord and we need to purify ourselves and we need to seek cleansing. I I think this is why prayer meeting is so important on Thursday nights because we need time that's set apart to get before the Lord and to say, Lord, we cleanse ourselves. We, We purify ourselves by your grace. So cleanse us and restore us and strengthen us because there are times we've been weak this week. And a lot of the reason we don't worship the Lord freely, why we don't worship him more boldly, and we worshiped wonderfully this morning, sang so beautifully. But a lot of the times why we're restrained or hesitant or we don't want to sing out is because there's weakness. We still have sin. We walk in and we're burdened and we're overwhelmed and there are things we haven't confessed 
and we're kind of weary and weak, and we kind of come in and sing out to God, sing hallelujah. I mean, it's not, it's not from here. It's not from the inner man. It's kind of just words at that point. The Lord wants to repair us and restore us. That's why David wrote in Psalm 51, create me a clean heart, renew a right spirit within me, cast me not away from your presence, don't take your Holy Spirit from me, restore to me, notice that word, restore to me the joy of my salvation. See, confession gets us to the right place where our heart and mind can be renewed. So we need to be restored when we're spiritually wicked, we need to be restored when we're spiritually weak. Then there's a third type of restoration we need. Turn over to Psalm chapter 3. Not coincidentally, this psalm was written when David was running from Absalom. So we've got context here. David commits the sin with Bathsheba. Everything goes haywire. Absalom rebels. He ends up sleeping with David's other wives. He rebels against the kingdom. He comes in. He captures Jerusalem. David takes off. And as David's running through the wilderness, away from Absalom because of his sin, David writes Psalm 3. It's a time of great fear, great discouragement, great heartache. He's wondering what's going to happen. You ever experienced those feelings? I experienced those feelings a couple times this week. Like heartache and wondering how this is going to turn out and, and where are we headed and Lord, what are you doing? And, and, and as David's running through the wilderness, running away from his crazy son who wants to kill him, and, and, he, and he's wondering what's going to happen. Look at what he writes. Oh Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there's no deliverance for him in God. Notice verse 2. They're saying of his soul. But you, O oh Lord, you're a shield about me. My glory, you're the one who lifts my head. I was crying to the Lord in my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. I'll not be afraid of ten thousands of people who've set themselves around me. Arise, Lord, save me, O oh my God, for you've smitten my enemies on the cheek. You've shattered the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing will be upon your people. See, this is the third type of restoration we need. When we're spiritually weary. When we're spiritually weary. Now notice that David's predicament, his situation, is a direct result of his sin with Bathsheba, his murder of Uriah, his failure to deal with Ammon, his lack of parenting, and his lack of time for Absalom. So now he finds himself in the wilderness, which is always in the Bible a metaphor for spiritual testing and spiritual cleansing. He's experienced the grace of God. We know that from the forgiveness that God gave him. But now he says to the Lord, I need you to hear me, and I need you to restore me. There's a very important spiritual truth here that I want us to understand. Spiritual restoration does not always equal the most comfortable circumstances. In fact, many times, spiritual restoration means that we have to go through difficulty. Hey, I say, well, I'm already weary. I don't want to be more weary. You're telling me that last week that I'm going to be refreshed 
and he's going to make me lie down in green pastures. And now you're telling me that spiritual restoration isn't necessarily comfortable. But listen, for the Lord to teach us to walk by faith, he has to place us where we need to be, not where we want to be. Because he's wise and he knows what's best. Just because David was forgiven doesn't mean he was fully back to where he needed to be. He had made poor decisions. He was still struggling spiritually and personally because of it. So it was no coincidence that Absalom rebelled. It was no coincidence that the Lord allowed David to endure this trial because David needed to be shepherded back to a strong walk with the Lord. And that wasn't going to happen unless he went through difficulty. So think about the places that David talks about in Psalm 23. He talks about green pastures and quiet waters, but he also talks about paths of righteousness and the valley of the shadow of death and the table of abundance and the house of the Lord. None of that's accidental. It tells us there's a variety of experiences that we are going to go through and they all have a purpose because our soul needs to be strengthened in times that we're struggling. And the Lord's perfect sufficiency will be enough. The Lord's help and strength will be enough during those times so we can be restored and we can be rejuvenated and so we can get perspective. One of my favorite movies, I don't know if you guys have ever seen, you guys ever seen the movie Ratatouille? I love the movie Ratatouille. That is one of my favorites. And in it, you probably remember the character, is a character, food critic named Anton Ego. And at one point, he's a little frustrated with the restaurant, and he says, do you know what I'm craving? A little perspective. That's it. I'd like some fresh, clear, well-seasoned perspective. You provide the food, and I'll provide the perspective. If you look at Psalm 3, the Holy Spirit provides us with the food and the perspective. There's fresh spiritual perspective here that despite his enemies and despite Absalom's betrayal and despite people saying, notice, to his soul, the Lord won't help you. David says, oh no, I know better. You're my strength and my shield. And when I call on you, you hear me. Everybody say amen. When I call on you, you hear me. And you know what? Even though I'm in turmoil, I'm in the wilderness, I'm not on the throne, Absalom's trying to kill me, I'm running for my life. You know what? I can lay down tonight and I can sleep in peace because you will sustain me. And I don't have to fear anything because you are my salvation. See, the Lord's righteousness revives us. So even when we're wrestling with fear and with doubt, he brings calmness and contentment to our soul and he restores us. Turn back over a couple pages of Psalm 23 again. Let's finish. Because I want you to notice one more thing here. Psalm 23, 3, our verse in the morning, he restores my soul, he guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's here because the rest of verse 2 makes me lie down in green pastures, leaves me in quiet waters. Verse 2 is not the end all. Oh, Lord, I 
just need some rest. I just wish you'd lay me down in green pastures, leave me side quiet waters, because my life is in turmoil right now. And if I could just find some rest, that would be great. You know what? The rest is not the end all. When we get to heaven, we'll rest. What we have to do right now is exercise our faith. See, it's a spiritual principle as much as it's a physical principle. If we just lay down and do nothing, what happens? You become atrophied, right? You become weak. There's no strength. Your muscles don't grow. You become spiritually anemic. And here's the thing. The next pasture, which we'll study next week, the next pasture might be only accessible by walking through the Valley of Shadow. The green pasture that we want to get to. Well, Lord, just take me to the green pasture. Well, here's the thing. To get to the green pasture, you're going to have to go through difficulty. Well, I don't want to do that. Just take me to the green pasture. Well, it's on the other side of that valley. And you can't get to the green pasture without going through this. Well, that's not fair. Who said it's going to be fair? It's right. And have I ever been unfair with you? Have I ever been unjust with you? Have I ever taken you on the wrong path? I know where the green pastures are. I know where the still waters are. But you are going to have to walk through difficulty to get there. Because that's how I'm going to restore you when you're weary. David's spirit in verse 3, you just sense exhaustion. Weary. My soul, Lord, it needs restoration. I need revival. But we have to follow the Lord on the paths of righteousness. And that is always a narrow path. Julie and I once went to a dude ranch, for lack of a better word, to a working ranch in Colorado. And we were going to go ride horses and do that thing. It was before we had kids. Because you don't do that kind of stuff once you have kids. Until they're married and gone. And to get to this ranch, it was uh, northwest of Colorado Springs. You had to drive through very, very, very narrow one lane on the side of a cliff kind of roads. Where if another car came around the corner and everything went blind, if another car came around the corner, I... I I honestly didn't know what I was going to do because you either run into the car or somebody backs up or you go over the side. That's how tight it was. Like, as wide as the center aisle. So I'm kind of driving and I'm very tense and, and, and I'm kind of, you know, what's around the next corner and kind of going here and going there. And it's beautiful around me. I mean, the sights are spectacular, but, but I can't concentrate. I, I, I can drive in Manhattan without even blinking. Like, I love to drive in New York. I'm not tense. You, I don't know if you know this by me by now. I'm not tense when I drive ever. Unless somebody's going under the speed limit in the left lane, then I'm really uptight. You know this, right? I've shared that before. Correct? Try not to use my horn here in town because I don't want to offend anybody. Anyway, I digress. I love to drive through Manhattan, but I'm driving on the side of these little cliff roads in Colorado, and I'm uptight. Like, I don't know what's going to happen next. So then we finally, after a long drive of going 30 miles an hour, we finally get to this beautiful ranch. 
Julie's like, let's ride horses, because she loves horses. So I'm like, okay, I'm not very good on horseback. I don't have great balance. I don't really trust the animal, and I keep looking for a seatbelt. But anyway, <laughs> I get on the horse. Horse is nice. We get along pretty well. And we ride up into the mountains. And now guess what? We're on little narrow paths again. But this time, I don't have a wheel. This time, I just have a couple reins. And the drop-off is here, and the drop-off is there, and I'm trusting this horse I've never met before. And again, I find myself really, really tense. I can't get a break. Only when I got back to the lodge did I start to relax, but at that point, I was weary. Now, there are a number of sources of stress as we walk in the paths of righteousness. There's temptation, there's cultural opposition. There's the sense of being isolated, which is why we have the body. There's that jealous feeling that creeps through our mind that we're missing out on something fun. There's the struggle with being different and not mainstream. There's the challenge of being disciplined for the purpose of holiness. There's the difficulty of walking by faith and not by sight. All these things are, are stressors, which is why we need restoration. I don't know about you, but I get weary. Not weary of being a believer, but weary from being a believer. Because it's challenging. So the Lord says, come back to my word. Come back to my presence. Come back to the body. Because I'm not disciplining you at this point. I'm reviving you. The path of righteousness is the path of life and safety. You ever know, let me tell you this and we'll be done. You ever as a parent, you ever say something to your kids and you get the why? Well, don't stay out past 11. Why? Well, don't, don't drive that fast. Why? I'll tell you why. Because I want to control you. Because I'm all about just being, no, I'm just kidding. That was a joke. You're supposed to laugh. <laughs> You're like, wow, he admitted from the pulpit. He's controlling his kids. No, I was just kidding. Why do I do that? Because I love those children more than anybody can understand. And because when they're a little baby, you hold them carefully and you hold your hand behind their neck right and, and you make sure they don't flop over and you make sure they're laying in the crib right and they're not gonna get suffocated and then they become a little toddler and they're gonna cross the street like, ho, 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 hold daddy's hand. Hold, no, hold on tight, don't run away, stay close. I wanna see you at all times. And then they become a teenager, and you say, well, you have some freedom, but there are some restrictions. There are some rules here, because I want you to learn standards. And if you need to blame it on anybody, blame it on us. Tell them that your parents are horrible, miserable people who won't let you have fun. I'm good with that. Because my job is to protect you. My job is to care for you. My job is to restore you, because I love you. How much more does the Lord love us? And he says, when you're weary, when you're run down, when you're, when you're tired from walking in the path of righteousness, I will help you. I will restore you. Just rest in me. And when we come into his presence, those narrow paths start to look like you on highways. And we say, I can do this, Lord, because of you. 
And I don't know what situation you most relate to this morning, but please know that the Lord is ready to work. He wants to restore your soul. He wants to lead you in the path of righteousness. I'm a sheep and you're a sheep. The question is, will we 